In this world, there are more stories than intros to an off-season podcast. Some were about sharks, some were hastily written, some are hints about season two, but they're all worth the listening. So, open your like, rate, subscribe on iTunes or the platform of your choice and listen. Welcome to Brushtown Stories, episode 28, the series finale, from the diary of Bernard Glouch, a hole in the whole world. From the diary of Bernard Louch, Wiltshire. The seas were rough a storm hit not long after leaving Hawaii. This would be, I'd hope, the final leg of a journey that took me across several continents. I had met Chapman Heath in the wastes of the Uzbek lands. Along the way, we weathered bandits, war, demons, the surf, cults, and more. But now, at long last, hopefully, we'd find answers. We were closing in on the location of the Ark of the Expulsion, an ancient artifact that was said to contain the first evocation of Adam after the fall, and in that olden feces would be the seeds of the fruit of knowledge, and from those seeds we could plant our own tree of knowledge and gain wisdom and hopefully bring peace and prosperity to the world. The Ark was supposedly on the barren atoll Fitzburr Island, brought there by a sea captain and explorer who became a recluse and possibly a madman. This captain was one Pittsburgh Moxon, the son of a slave who had not been seen in many years, but it was believed all he owned was housed on Fitzburg Island, including the Ark. Our ship was captained by a smuggler named Fancy Dan Fancy, who once worked with Moxon. He was a good skipper and helped us mightily, but in this typhoon, it was every man for himself. The wind whipped so hard it bent steel and the rain was relentless. We were a small vessel, and Heath and I were the only crew besides Fancy Dan Fancy, and so we were put to work saving the vessel from capsizing. The boat rolled hard as the giant swell smashed us, and it seemed at times we were almost parallel with the water. Heath cursed the storm and said God himself could not stop us. The sky glowed with lightning and rippled with thunder, as if to rebuke him. I emptied my stomach overboard several times. I thought there was nothing left in me, and yet my body would find more to expel. I held fast some ropes and lashed down the hold. I followed orders without thought, because had I considered the madness of the maelstrom, I might have just jumped into the churning maw and ended it rather than face this seemingly endless barrage. But then the calm came. We had survived with only limited damage. Several of Heath's alcohol bottles had smashed, and some of our rations were waterlogged. But after surviving such a storm, a soggy biscuit tasted like heaven. After that, the sea took on a crystal stillness. It was like entering a new world. After a few more days, white gulls began to appear in the sky as small flying fish leapt from the water and glided in the air. At dusk, several sharks circled the boat, their black tip fins cutting the water like broad cleavers. Then, at night, 
small glowing squid would come to the surface. Their eerie glow could be seen for miles. It was like the night sky was upside down. At times, it seemed, we were sailing between two infinite universes of stars. More days passed, and our rations began to run low. Fancy Dan Fancy rechecked the charts, making sure our prow was still on course. Fitzburr Island was a little speck of rocks, a bare atoll that was mostly an underwater reef with a small ring of land. It would be easy to miss. And as time passed, I wondered if we had indeed missed it. I told Heath about my suspicions that we had overshot our destination, but he had a more nefarious concern. What if, he told me, that there was no such island, that this was all a trick by Fancy Dan Fancy, that he was leading us on a wild goose chase? Why would he do that, I asked. Heath narrowed his eyes. The devil plays games with a man's head, Heath said. I realized also that Heath was out of spirits, and drying out was souring his mood. I said it'd be a long way to go for a pranking, but Heath said perhaps he's mad, and were to be sacrificed to his mad desires. I figured if he'd wanted to cut us into pieces, he could have done so a lot sooner. I went above deck to watch the water as it calmed me. The next day, Fancy Dan Fancy and I were eating some hardtack and salt cod, when suddenly Heath grabbed Fancy Dan Fancy and threw him up against the side of the boat. He demanded to know his true motive and threatened to kill him. Heath drew a small knife and held it to Fancy Dan Fancy's throat. Fancy Dan Fancy pleaded innocence, that they were almost to the atoll, that it was almost within sight. Heath called him a liar. Then Heath said the ocean was mocking him, and he could hear the slapping of tentacles. He stabbed Fancy Dan Fancy in the gut. Fancy Dan Fancy then grappled with Heath. I came to Fancy Dan Fancy's aid. We managed to subdue Heath, who was now howling and baying like a mad dog. I was worried for my friend, but I knew he had to be restrained. We bound Heath and put him in the cargo hold. I helped dress Fancy Dan Fancy's wound, but our first aid supplies were minimal. A few more days passed. I asked Fancy Dan Fancy if we should have reached the island by now. He said he wasn't sure. He showed me the charts, but it was all alien to me. His wound was festering. The skin around it had turned dark. He was feverish and was always wiping sweat from his brow. I went down to see Heath and feed him his rations. Heath seemed remorseful. He cried, but he was also dehydrated, so no tears came to his eyes. In truth, all our nerves were frayed. Heat's sanity had returned, but now he was gripped by a dark malaise. He said it was all for naught, that perhaps he had been chasing a myth, that he was deluded. Maybe the Bible was just stories, folktales, myths. What if he'd spent all of his youth chasing smoke and dreams? Just then a shout came from above deck. Land ho! The large reef that surrounded the tiny Fitzburr Island could not be navigated by our boat, so we had to disembark and swim ashore. Heath, fearing the water, was afraid to swim, but his wits seemed to have returned, so we left him to tend the boat while Fancy Dan Fancy and I swam ashore. I could see the salt water stung his wound, but he tried to hide his pain. The island was stained white with the excrement of migratory seabirds and stank. We found a small shack built on the island made from pieces of an old boat. Inside, we found the bones of Captain Pittsburgh Moxon. 
There were some provisions and trinkets in the shack, but nothing that could be the fecal box. By the time we finished searching the small shack, the tide had come fully in, rendering the swim back too dangerous. We decided to spend the night ashore. We signaled to Heath and headed back to sleep in the shack. It was hard to sleep, and I was woken a few times by the sound of Fancy Dan Fancy muttering and gasping. I asked if he needed anything. He said no, and I fell back asleep. When the next morning came, I could not rouse Fancy Dan Fancy. The infection of his wound had spread into his blood and overtook him. I shouted in a panic to Heath, who in turn, feeling I was in danger, started up the boat and ran it aground on the reef. The reef tore a hole in the side, and Heath fell from the boat and tumbled into the surf. I swum out and dragged him to shore, but now our only means of leaving this island was wrecked. Fitzburr Island is a small rocky ring around a central lagoon which sat on a large reef. I came to know the geography well, as it would be our home for quite some time. But now I must share with you a true secret. We spent our first maroon days searching in vain for the Ark of the Expulsion, but with each passing hour our hopes faded. We ate the small red crabs that lived on the rocks and drank the blood of turtles that would come to the reef to be cleaned by small fish. We spent our nights in the small shack. We had put the bodies outside and tried to keep the birds away from them, but it was a losing battle. In the late part of the evening, I would usually lie awake and wonder what Pihan was doing, how I missed the contours of her hands and the moments at night when she'd put her cold feet against my ribs to warm them up. It's all you're good for, she'd say with a laugh. Then, just before I fell back asleep, I heard a great gurgling noise. I woke Heath from a dream where he was a sultan of some golden land, and he cursed me for bringing him back to our sad reality. But then he heard the noise as well. We rushed from the shack and saw an amazing sight. The central lagoon of the atoll was draining away. Apparently there was an odd quirk to the tide. During the full moon, the tides pulled the water from the lagoon, draining it completely. And then we looked down into this giant gaping hole and saw a shimmering light and long twisted branches, branches of a tree greater than any I'd ever seen. They spiraled upward and reached toward us like beckoning church spires. Heath quickly scrambled down to climb amongst the branches. I was nervous, but soon followed. As we climbed down, the branches got thicker and thicker, and there were even iridescent leaves that shimmered like rainbows on the surface of oil. And then the smells began. Lavender, cinnamon, cumin, rosemary, and other aromas that made you at once feel like you were home. And then... Along some branches, Heath noticed the bark formed Hebrew letters. This was the Tree of Knowledge, or at least the very top of it. The fecal box must have fallen into the lagoon and then sprouted. We climbed down deeper, but soon our way was blocked by briars and brambles. They were too thick to cut through by hand, and we had no tools. Heath then started to note the Hebrew letters and realized that they spelled out Tabor which translated to the center. And then he noticed the faint glowing sap lines of the tree, all leading downward to the heart of this great plant, the center of knowledge, the center of the tree. 
We wanted to explore more, but soon daylight broke, and there was a great rumbling. The water rushed back into the lagoon, and we barely managed to make it back to the surface. We had to wait again until the next full moon to further explore the tree. Each time we visited it, it seemed more beautiful, more lush than before, but the center was surrounded by thick growth and thorns. There was no way we could reach the heart of the tree where we believed the fruit of knowledge awaited us. On one trip, Heath plucked a leaf and kept it with him. Its sweet smell lingered for days before it turned orange, became brittle, and then turned to dust. It was a cruel fate that brought us to our treasure, but gave us no way to open it. I feared we'd die on the island, just inches from our goal. But then, one fateful day, we saw a boat not far from shore. We signaled to them and they pulled close. It was an Australian fishing vessel, hunting chub mackerel. They took us aboard and brought us to Brisbane. We told them we were lost explorers, but kept our discovery to ourselves. Now, here in Australia, we are soliciting funds to return to Fitzburr Island with proper equipment and resources. The greatest gardening job in the world! Heath calls it. I know that we shall find what we seek, for all of this is greater than myself. I realize that now. I was searching through history to prove my own worth. I had run from my present by hiding in the past. But now I am for perhaps the first time looking forward. What a great thing awaits me. Tomorrow cannot come soon enough. Please note, this is the final entry written by Bernard Glouch, which was mailed along with his diaries from Brisbane. They arrived in New Muller in the summer of 1936. It is believed that Bernard Glouch and Chapman Heath did charter another boat, but no record of this vessel has ever been found, nor is there any record of Fitzburg Island. There is a mention of a Captain Pittsburgh Moxon in a Brazilian customs log, but no details are given. Bernard Glouch was declared legally dead in 1941, and a monument was built to him in the New Muller Cemetery. Many aspects of his account cannot be verified, and the authenticity of some of his writings remains in doubt. His artifacts remain on display in the Mouthatorium to this very day. Brushtown Stories is a Roy Gold production. It was written by Jonathan Goldberg with music by David Ariglieri. Bernard Glouch is James Kennedy. Find out more about the show and cast at podmusical.com. Find out what happens to all of your favorite characters on Season 2 of The Fall of the House of Sunshine, coming March 2018. Find out what happens when I'm done doing Brushtown intros and outros and just back to Bam Panglow on Season 2 of The Fall of the House of Sunshine, coming March 2018. Wait! It's happening! It's happening so soon! Thanks for listening and have a suntabulous bicuspid of a day. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.